him on the shoulder, that the hound dog of heaven, your Holy Spirit, would be relentless in coming alongside and reminding them of the love and compassion that you have. And I pray that they would not be far from turning back towards you. Father, I'd also pray that you would use us in accomplishing this, bringing them back to the faith. And if there's anyone that we know that we should talk to, I pray that you would bring them to mind and that we would not be argumentative, but we would remember that we are representing you just as the Apostle Paul was. I ask, Lord, that you would help us to follow him as he followed you. And we know that this is good, for he encouraged us to do so. So this morning, Father, I pray that you would bless your word as it goes out. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, Paul goes on in the book of Second Corinthians, and he professes his abiding love for the church at Corinth, and he deals with false apostles, and he makes an actual personal defense. And as he begins to make that defense, he says, I, I, talking like a fool. In other words, he, he has to make a defense for himself because others are trying to tear him down. And he does so in the pages of this book. And I think he does it quite effectively. But where he starts out in this letter is dealing with suffering. That there are many who have suffered over the centuries because of Jesus Christ and their faith in him. And there are those who have actively attacked the church. Uh, in our recent history, of course, there is the teaching of Karl Marx that led to Hitler and Mao and Pol Pot and even Xi Jinping, who is now in China, who is imprisoning both Muslims and Christians. And I've talked about that before, just persecuting them. And even in times past, during the time of Christ and after, you had individuals like Caesar Nero who persecuted the Christians and burned them at the stake. And even the church was guilty if somebody stepped out of line. The church would put out a hit on an individual like Martin Luther. There was a hit put on his life that he would be taken out. And those who translated the Bible, uh, like Wycliffe, they were sought and they were killed because they did not conform to what the world thought they should, even though it had the the guise of being a religious institution, the Catholic Church. And of course, it's not just the Catholic Church, it's Christians of all kinds, all stripes that bring persecution. And our sufferings do not even compare that we have here today with the hardships and trials that some endure around the world. And there may be a few in our country that have to endure persecution because they are Christians, but nothing like the rest of the world. To give an example of this, there are some, uh, a few in our country that have actually died for their faith. Back in August 20th, 2018, this is the headline, Muslim immigrant sentence over honor killing of Christian who married his converted daughter. It goes on to say, this is from Houston, Texas, a Muslim man who had immigrated to America from Jordan had been sentenced to death by a jury after engaging in two honor killings and allegedly being enraged that his daughter had shamed the family by converting to Christianity and marrying a Christian. So there are Christians here in this country that will lose their lives because they are Christians. And it's brought about by people like these radical Muslims who are out there. Now, not all Muslims are radical, but this particular man from Jordan was. But in the rest of the world, it's unfashionable to be a Christian. Even in Canada, you cannot say what you want 
Otherwise, you might be fined or thrown into prison if you start telling everyone that Jesus is the only way to heaven. He's the only one true God because that's so narrow-minded, that's so bigoted after all. Of course, Jesus was very narrow-minded. There is only one way to heaven, and he is it. And all we are doing is simply proclaiming that. But Paul begins with a greeting before he gets into suffering, and he says in verse 1 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all the saints throughout Achaia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now where he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, you can install your name there. Uh, If it was me, I would say, Paul, a disciple of Christ Jesus by the will of God. You could install your name just as easily, a disciple of Christ by the will of God. You are here, you are interested in what the word of God has to say, and you're pursuing that. So what about this? When were you chosen by the will of God? When were you appointed by the will of God? We know that Ephesians 1.4 says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. That was before the earth was ever formed, before it was ever created. He knew us by name. He had that foreknowledge. And we are chosen according to the purposes of God. He has a purpose for us in being chosen to salvation. Romans 8.28, for we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. It, It does us well if we figure out what our purpose is in this life. Not simply drift. There are so many people that are just drifting through life. They have no idea, no direction what God would want for them in this life. I know what my direction is. I am solidified in it. I'm I'm pastoring here, teaching. That's what God wants me to do. He also wants me to work out in the field. I get to talk to so many people out in the field. And I, I, I look for the opportunities. And if the opportunity is not there, sometimes I make the opportunity, like I did this last week. And by the way, this guy's name is Brandon. You might pray for him that the Lord opens his eyes and his understanding uh, to receive Jesus Christ back into his life. But we are called according to God's purpose. We need to find out what that purpose is, where he wants us. We, Patty and I have always thought, well, what, what does the Lord want us to do? Uh, where does he want us to live? When we got married, I felt the Lord told us to live in El Cajon. Uh, I grew up in Chula Vista. Instead of going to Chula Vista, we went to El Cajon. And from El Cajon, uh, something opened up. We're supposed to go to Lakeside. So we went to Lakeside. And Lord, do you want us to start a home fellowship? Yeah, we started a home fellowship. Seemed good to us at the time. We started the home fellowship. Lord, do you want us to start the church? Is this your will? Well, it seemed good. And so we're asking along the way, God, what is your purpose for us? What are we supposed to do? Of course, there are things that are ahead. What are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to move to Canada? Are we supposed to move to South America? Oh, you want us in Lakeside. Okay, we'll stay in Lakeside. That's where we're supposed to be. And until I get orders to go somewhere else, this is where I am. I die here. This is the place I die until he tells me to go somewhere else. You guys also have this same calling. And please, I've seen some people make the error. Not everyone, but some people make the error. Well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go here. I'm going to live in this city. And the people, some people that have said that, 
have never said, this is what the Lord wants me to do. He wants me to go here, or he wants me to do that, or he wants me to leave this job, or he wants me to gain this new employment. People oftentimes don't do that. They go by their own understanding what they feel they should do. And of course, we know we, won't, we should not lean to our own understanding. Proverbs chapter 3, 5, and 6 tells us that. We are also predestined according to his will. Ephesians 1, 11. Also, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. So, in other words... You have been chosen. It would be like uh, being in a school or, say, a high school. And in the main office, they're going to select certain people to go on a trip to Washington, D.C., and only certain people to represent the school. And they go through and they say, okay, these are the people that are going to go, and they pick five of them. And then they notify the people that they are going to go on this trip. The same thing has happened with us. God determined ahead of time. He wrote down our names in the book of life and said, These are the ones that are destined for salvation according to his purpose and his will. He did this. And so a summary of the track of our lives as believers, Romans 8, 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. And so it's foreknowledge, predestination, called, justified, and glorified. That's how it works. He chose us before the foundations of the earth. He knew he would do so. He predestined us. You know, your parents, they were chosen for you. If it weren't those two individuals that were your parents, you wouldn't be who you are. And so God brought everyone together to be conformed or to have somebody be conformed into the image of Christ. So he put out the call. Remember the prophet by the name of Samuel? Samuel, he was a child. He was given to his mother because she was barren and she sought the Lord and the Lord opened up her womb and she became pregnant and she bore Samuel and she made this promise to God that after he was weaned, she would give him back to God. And he lived in the temple at that time. And he's laying in bed. And as he's laying in bed, he hears, Samuel! Huh? What? He gets up. He goes to ask Eli, the priest, the high priest that was there. He goes, did you call me? He goes, no, go back to bed. So he goes back to bed. He falls asleep again. All of a sudden he hears his, Samuel. He gets up again. He walks into, you called me, master? What, what would you like from me? He goes, I didn't call you. He didn't say it in a mean way. He just said, I didn't call you. But listen, it might be the Lord. So when you go back and you lay down, if he calls you again, answer. Here am I. Now this is Bill's version of the Bible. But he went in there and That's what the Lord did. The Lord called him and he answered. We were called the same way. Now, you may not have heard God's voice call out your name, but you were still called to salvation. Now, there is a controversy surrounding this, and I'm not going to go too deep into it, but there's this idea that those in the Reformed camp, brothers and sisters in the Lord, they believe that some people are born to salvation And some people are born in order to burn in hell. They separate the two categories. And they say, see, obviously, if we're predestined, God wrote our names down. And then there are those who were not predestined and their names are not written down. Therefore, they are destined for hell. And that's not true, according to Scripture. 
I want to make sure that we respond to this correctly. There is a story in Matthew chapter 22, and it deals with the Jews. And this story is about a wedding banquet where a master sets up this wedding banquet and he sends out invitations. And I believe those invitations were being sent out to the Jews. And I'm going to read it to you here. It's 14 verses, but you'll get the idea. In Matthew 22, verse 1, it says, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come. But they refused to come. So the Jews were invited to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, one to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Now, this was actually a fulfillment of prophecy in 70 AD. Titus came in and ransacked the whole city. They rejected the offer from the king to go to the wedding feast. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite or bid or offer entrance into the wedding banquet, or to the banquet, anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. So the call went out to who? Everyone, good and bad. There's only two camps. When we look at it from a human standpoint, there are those people who are good and those people who are bad. From God's standpoint, they're all bad. But from this particular story here, they would have understood what he was saying. Everyone was included in this invitation, and that means you and I. But when the king came in to see the guest, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. So if you get invited... You're chosen to stay if you have the garments. This individual got into the wedding banquet and he did not have the garments. The garments are the righteous works of the saints, which means you have asked for forgiveness and God gives us new clothes. He gives us a new heart, so to speak. And we are invited to that banquet and able to remain. But anyone who does not have their sin forgiven, they do not have the clothing, the righteous works of the saints, the white robes which are there, they are not allowed into this banquet. And matter of fact, they are thrown out into the fiery hell, the Gehenna, the lake of fire. And so they get the choice. If you're invited, does somebody compel you to come? Do they grab you, throw you over their shoulder and say, you are coming to this banquet whether you like it or not. God is not like that. He puts out the invitation. He is compassionate with us. I want anybody to come to this banquet. I've prepared the feast. Anyone, good and bad, just come, is what he asks. So see, that's an invitation. You can't get from some are born to burn and also have an invitation. They are contrary to one another. So God invites everybody. And these garments, like I said, righteous works of the saint, but God will not violate our will in this matter. He presents to us the gospel, 
And we get to choose. It even says this in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now, there are some that will take this verse, and when it says, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance, the everyone means the elect in their mind. Everyone who is elect will not perish and get into heaven. And they twist the scripture around. So what would you say? Is it only God's choice or some would say we get to choose? Which one is it? Well, it's both. How do you work that out? I don't know. I I have no idea how to work that out. That God chose us before the foundations of the earth, but choose this day whom you will serve. Just like Joshua declared in Joshua chapter 24, verse 14. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your fathers uh, that they worship beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your forefathers that your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Sounds like it's an act of the will. So we have this will. We can follow Christ if we choose to do so. It is not that some are destined to burn in hell and that's their lot in life. It's not like that. Even the worst of sinners can be saved. Matter of fact, there are probably more who are poor and destitute and downtrodden that turn back to God and say, I'm willing than those who are rich and stable and have everything that they want in this life. That's why scripture says, It is harder for a rich man to get into heaven than for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle. And I've explained this before. If you go to Jerusalem, there's this one door up on the Temple Mount that you can end up walking through. It's by the Temple Mount. It's by the Praetorian Guard. And it's half the size of a door. So you have to bend down to get through it. And they would say, well, see, a camel can get through that, but you've got to get him down on all fours and just kind of shove him through and pull and, and push and that's not it the point was it's impossible for a rich man to get into heaven just like it's impossible for a poor man to get into heaven except by jesus christ it's by his grace that we make it and then there's this choice of three different men that it it, they are described in luke chapter 9 in verse 57 jesus is speaking here and as they were walking along the road a man said to him I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So you see this foreknowing, this predestination to be conformed and called and justified and glorified. We get to choose all three of these men that are depicted here. They got to choose whether or not they wanted to follow Christ. Now I will add this. When you follow Christ, do you follow Christ wholeheartedly? I mean, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, I have to be the first to admit, I don't always do that. I'm too tired. I've got too much to do. I'm too busy. 
I just want to feed the flesh for a while, okay? Is that just fine with you? And you can argue against somebody who is out there. We get into these modes, these, it's like in Alaska. Choose your rut wisely because you'll be in it for the next 200 miles because they have dirt roads up there. And, and so you want to be careful how you choose to follow the Lord. Is it just a little bit or are you zealous for the Lord? And this idea of being zealous. Let me ask you, are the, the protesters who are out there and what's going on in these major cities, are they zealots? They most certainly are zealot, or zealots. I saw this one guy... A video of this one guy, I think he was Antifa. He decided to start a fire and he caught his own pant legs on fire. And he's running away and he's trying to put them out and he's running frantically trying to stop. And the man's a zealot starting a fire like that, but he got recompensed. He got paid for the evil that he was perpetrating. Well, for the good that you do for the Lord, you will also be paid. Are you like that in an opposite sense of this? Antifa guy, do you serve the Lord and be willing to do anything for him? Will you proclaim his word whenever given the opportunity? Do you look for the opportunity when you get up in the morning and you say, Lord, give me a chance. Show somebody to me. Show me a filthy, rotten pagan that needs your salvation. I'd be happy to talk to them. And that's how we should conduct ourselves. We need to talk to other people who are out there. It's very difficult with this COVID thing going on. But hey, you got a mask on so nobody can tell who you are. You walk out there, say, hey, do you know Jesus Christ? Would you like to know him? Would you like salvation? Would you like to live forever? And you might think, well, that's silly. Is that how you start a conversation? Well, sometimes you do, just like this Brandon that I talked to last week. So are you a Christian? Do you go to church? It's as easy as that. And most people, they want to talk about God. Whether they believe in God or not, you would be surprised how easy it is just to start a conversation with somebody. Especially if you're standing in line. We, we have done this on a couple of occasions where we will just go out and witness. Uh, we did this, um, the haunt in the park, the Balboa Park, where they used to have the Halloween uh, walkthrough, the haunted houses there. We uh, would have a, a captive audience. There would be hundreds of people in line. They'd be four or five people deep. We'd walk right up to the line. Hey, <clears throat> We're from Calvary Chapel. We're here to give the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you like to hear it? One guy I ran across. I said, uh, are you a Christian? you go to church? He goes, I'm a Catholic. I said, well, you follow the Bible then. You follow Jesus Christ. I said, that would be a Christian. He goes, no, I'm a Catholic. Okay, you're a Catholic. Have you asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? And, and he didn't want to engage. Okay, I'll just move on to the next person. And there's always people surrounding the one you're talking to in that type of environment. And you can easily talk to them. How many lines have you stood in lately with COVID-19? Probably quite a few in Home Depot. Hey, man, what you buying? Oh, uh, yeah, I'm buying this for the church. Yeah, do you go to church and see how easy it would be to just start slipping into a conversation like that? We need to go out and be witnesses. As a matter of fact, you could probably talk to somebody who no longer goes to church that used to go to church, and you'll remind them that maybe the Lord is the way to go. And, and I can remember special incidents where I would be somewhere at a specific time. This one particular case, I was down in Imperial Beach. I was working on a project that I take care of down there. And this guy comes jogging up, a big guy. He's really big. And he, he comes up and, and he says, hey, man, how's it going? I said, good, how are you? And uh, I'm busy. 
I'm working and I'm busy. And he just wanted to stop for a minute and talk. And I, I know those times. And it's like, okay, stop what you're doing. Put down your stuff and talk to this guy. The, the Lord brought him along. So I started talking to him. I said, so you go to church? He goes, no, man, my, my wife does, but I don't go. I said, really? Why don't you go anymore? He goes, oh, I don't know, I just kind of fell away. I ended up talking to the guy for 30 minutes. I said, this is not an accident that we have met. The Lord wants you back in church. He wants you worshiping him because there's nothing. That... I just went off in a nice way. I went off on him and I told him, look, you need to be doing this. This is not an accident. Get back into the Lord and follow him with all your heart. And at the end of it, he goes, well, thank you. I prayed for him. And at the end of it, he just went on his merry way. Running. Never seen the guy since. But that's the opportunities that present themselves to us if we just simply ask. And this is, you know, the Apostle Paul. He is ministering to the church in Corinth because he's being like Christ, because he has compassion. He's compassionate for the people who need to be saved. And also, he wants to bring them comfort. He says in verse 3, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion. In other words, the originator of compassion and the God of all comfort. Comfort, excuse me. Many seek God as a harsh taskmaster ready to punish and he is not very kind. That's how the world looks at him because he's a just God. He will always punish sin. And people think, well, that's so mean that he would punish sin. no. It's so sinful that we would continue in our ways. This could not be further from the truth that God is not a God of compassion and a God of all comfort. Remember that he so loved us that he died for us. Has anybody really expressed their love for you so much that they gave an arm or leg? Not their whole life, just a part of their body. Here, take my hand, please, you know, for your salvation. No, we, we wouldn't do any of that, but... Christ, he gave his whole life to have us. Now, if that's not compassion, if, if that's not bringing comfort, I don't know what is. And he has compassion like a father has compassion for his children. Uh, my son, I think my son is a better father than I ever was. He, he loves his two boys, my grandsons, just like no other. Right now, he's down in Mexico, and he put him in an oven in 118 degrees down there. And I'll have to talk to him about that. But he, he's down there, and they're on a river, and they're in a house, and he's just having a great time with them. And he, and he hangs out with them. My son, he uh, has a, my grandson is a sponsored skateboard rider. He goes with them around the country, around the world. And he's just with them all the time. He has compassion on his sons. In Psalm 103, verse 13 tells us that about God. It says, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. We have a a new grandson. I think he's almost 10 months now. And he's just a bundle of joy. You know, at first I was a scary man. I would show up and I'd have sunglasses on and a hat. and And he'd grab Grammy and just hold on to her. But now he knows me a little bit better. And whenever I show up, he smiles. He gets this big ear-to-ear smile on him. And then he tucks his head back into Grammy or into my daughter's shoulder, you know. And, and we kind of play some games. And, and he's just so sweet. Just a, this little boy, uh, 10-month-old. And you can't help but have compassion and love for him because he's so small. And that's how the father looks at us. He has compassion on us. 
And God is full of compassion. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. Now, if somebody does you wrong, are you full of hate and anger for them? If somebody tells you to put on your mask and you don't want to put on your mask, what do you think? Oh, I'm so sorry. No, you don't say that. You say, don't make me do... You kind of get this attitude going. You know, we're free people in a free society. How dare you tell... What do you mean I can't do... We question all the rules and regulations that are coming out of this. And we're full of this anxiety. But God is full of compassion for us. And God has compassion on both believers and unbelievers. Psalm 145, verse 9. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Have you had compassion on those who you would consider your enemies? I'm not going to do anything for them. What what they did to me. I'm not not even going to talk to them. But God has compassion on those who don't believe as well as those who believe. In Psalm 119, verse 50, This is my comfort in my affliction that your word has revived me. And of course, the word of God is what brings comfort to us. And that is the next point here. In times of grief, God will bring comfort. It says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So if you're going through trials, tribulations, difficulties, excruciating pain, whatever the case might be. He brings comfort to us. Now, how does he bring that comfort? As I just said, your word has revived me. It's the word of God that brings comfort. If you don't have the word of God, you don't know where to go for comfort. And so you must refer back to that if you need some help, if you need some encouragement, if you need some direction, go back to the word of God. Otherwise, the people of the world are just saying, oh, this stinks, this is terrible, where am I going to get some comfort in this? Even as we're going through this COVID thing, we got comfort from God because we know this is only temporary. It's going to be over. We're going to be in heaven before too long. And as things are progressing, it could be sooner than later. Have you seen this guy that's on the internet that had these dreams that it's really going to be bad in November and December and there's going to be riots and who knows, it could be like the end. I, I don't know if you've seen this guy. But he is out there, and he's had some dreams before, and things have taken place. He's an Internet sensation. So what if things get bad? Big deal. We know where we're going. And if it all ends, hey, it all ends. Not that we won't have compassion and want to bring comfort to those who are still suffering. We will. But we have a destination. We know what is going on. Now, Patty and I, we like to get away every once in a while. This last year, we haven't been able to get away. I'm waiting. I'm waiting to get away. And pretty soon they're going to lift the restrictions and you won't see me for a week. I'll be gone. And and I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to that time just to decompress, to not have to worry about phone calls or text messages. And I'm just going to disappear just for a few days. And then eventually I'll disappear in the rapture. But that's what I have to look forward to. And also, we receive comfort from God in order to comfort others. 1 Corinthians 1.4 says, who, comf- who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we, rece- we ourselves have received from God. Have you ever been able to give counsel to somebody that are going through something that you have already gone through? For instance, uh, you know, there's groups that get together and they talk about medical procedures that they've had and how they've gone through, especially cancer survivors. And there's 
There's groups that meet and they tell them, well, this is what you're going to go through. This is what you're going to experience. This is what you can expect. And then you'll come out the other side and this is probably what's going to take place. And so there's comfort brought in the words that are spoken. We have comfort brought in the word that is written. And hopefully it is spoken by us to others to bring them comfort when they're worried about what's going on. I told you about the break guy that... He felt everything a week or two ago. He felt that everything was just coming down on him, that the two steps forward, one step back, it seems like it was just happening on a regular basis. And he thought God was maybe punishing him. And I said, no, God doesn't work like that. And I tried to bring him a little bit of comfort of who God is. Our God is a God of compassion. And maybe he wants to get our attention. And the sufferings of Christ, they will overflow into our life for a specific purpose. Usually when you're suffering the most, what do you say? God, if you just relieve this suffering, I'll serve you. I, I know of an individual who actually said that to me. Uh, they were going through uh, colon cancer, and they were weak. They had lost a lot of weight, had a colostomy, and they said, you know, if God just delivers me from this, I will serve him. I said, okay, according to your word, let me pray for you that that comes to pass. And the person, they survived many, many more years. But then eventually they ended up succumbing to another form of cancer. But there was only a marginal effort. But towards the end of this person's life, they really worshipped God. They, they fell in line with what the promise was. That promise was eventually fulfilled. And he suffered a lot during that time. But that's just physical suffering. As we go through this life, the suffering that's being referred to here in Second Corinthians is suffering because you follow Christ. If you're not following Christ the way you should, you will not really receive any discomfort from others because you follow Christ. It's when you get together with those who are unbelievers and you talk about Jesus Christ and what he has done for you that you will end up suffering a little bit and Paul he, he goes on to talk about this suffering and he says in verse 6 if we are distressed it is for your comfort and salvation in other words he's happy to comfort others if he's going through any trial or tribulation if we are comforted it is for your comfort which produces in you a patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer and our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our suffering, so also you share in our comfort. So the process of suffering for and receiving comfort from Christ in our lives is also for the benefit of others. And that needs to be our focus. Whenever we suffer and we make it through it, and we've learned our lesson, it is for others that they might also benefit from what we go through. Now, Paul was willing to go through anything in order to bring comfort to those who would also suffer. And back then, they were killing Christians. They killed Christians because of their faith in Christ. And Paul, there was at one point where he, he feared even death because of what he was going through. Remember, he had to escape. He was in the ocean, shipwrecked twice. And he was a hero of the faith. He was the ever-ready bunny. He would just get right back up, and he'd keep on going. And he'd be taken down. He'd be thrown in jail. And he'd start singing in jail. And then people would get saved. And, and same thing with Peter. People would get saved when they'd be thrown in jail. And so if the Lord wants you to go to jail, hopefully you're going there for a visit. 
And you're not going there to be a permanent resident. But Paul was a hero of the faith. He would fall into these times of suffering. He'd be encouraged by God and he'd tell the story so that others would be encouraged. He was a hero of the faith. Now, heroes, what modern day heroes do we have? In the fictional realm, we have Iron Man. He saved the whole, half the population of the earth and universe, right? In his last movie, there's Spider-Man, there's Superman. They're all heroes, which are out there, but they're all made up heroes. What real heroes do we have today? Is it the violent protesters? Is it the president? Is it the small business owners? Is it those who refuse to wear masks? Are those the heroes which are out there? Remember uh, Nancy Pelosi just had a riff with a salon owner. You see that thing going back and forth? It was starting to get legs, and so they had to change the narrative, and something else had to come up in the news. Anyhow, they got rid of that. Is she, is the salon over, uh, owner a hero, pointing out that Nancy Pelosi doesn't get what we don't get, how dare she go take advantage of this? And she's the one writing the laws. And if you don't know that story, you can go ahead and look it up. Maybe you remember heroes of the past. And by the way, you don't have to be big to be a hero. In the Old Testament, King Saul was a head and shoulder above everybody else. And he was handsome too, to boot. And he was considered the hero. You don't have to be like that. There was a man years ago. Five foot five inches tall, 112 pounds, was a war hero in World War II. Maybe you know his name, Audie Murphy. Audie Murphy was a tiny man. And he, if you ever see pictures of him, you can go look it up. He wears his uniform and he has all these medals going down. I think he has the Congressional Medal of Honor as well. He saved all kinds of lives. Uh, If you've never watched his movies, uh, he became an actor after that. But he was a tiny man, but he was a hero. What about uh, Louis Zamperini? Remember him? They made a movie about him, Unbroken. He was, uh, first he was 40, 45 days at sea in a raft, sharks all around. He survived that. He was put into two concentration camps by the Japanese, and he was tortured relentlessly. And he is a believer in Christ. And there was a movie made about him. Again, it's unbroken. It was directed by Angelina Jolie. And just how he survived. And the Japanese, they tried to break him. And it's a true story. He is truly a uh, hero. And he was an inspiration to his fellow prisoners of war. Or what about Desmond Doss? Maybe you don't recognize him, his name. Uh, They made a movie about him as well. The movie was Hacksaw Ridge. In the movie Hacksaw Ridge, he is a fellow brother in the Lord who received the Congressional Medal of Honor. He is credited with saving 75 soldiers during one of the bloodiest battles of World War II in the Pacific, and he did it without ever carrying a weapon. He was a Seventh-day Adventist, and he never wanted to kill anybody, and he was the one that was running in and saving people who had been shot into the battlefield, and he'd just pick them up, and he'd carry them over his shoulder, and he'd run out of the battlefield and save 75 men. That's a hero. Paul was a hero. Audie Murphy was a hero. Desmond Doss was a hero. Are you a hero for the Christian faith? We want to be like Paul. We want to be like these other men. And there are women as well who have been heroes of the Christian faith, who have stepped in when nobody else would and and buttressed up or lifted it up 
lifted up uh, men and women and encouraged them. And we might suffer to the point of fearing for our very lives, just like Paul. So far, that hasn't been the case. But in verse 8, he says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even for life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. So we may have the opportunity to end up enduring suffering even to the point of death. Now, it's not likely in this country. It could come in our lifetimes. We don't know. My opinion is it's unlikely, but it's around the rest of the world. So what causes the suffering? It's the fallenness of humankind. Adam and Eve, they sinned, and because of that, suffering came into the world. And in its present form, it is passing away. And also, why is there suffering? So that we may comfort others when we receive comfort. I already read that to you in verse 4. And so that we might not trust in ourselves, we endure the suffering, whatever suffering it might be, a trial, small or big. We receive comfort. We don't trust in ourselves. We turn to God when we are suffering, and that's where we should turn. And it causes us to draw closer to Him. And so many will give thanks when we've endured the suffering we've come through the other other side people have prayed for us we've prayed for ourselves when people hear of the testimony then wonderful they are encouraged they're given comfort they see that our god is a god of compassion and comfort now a couple of things to walk away with in suffering if you do suffer do not become embittered or resentful proverbs 3:11 My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke. Now, see, we have a hard time discerning. Is it discipline or is it suffering for our faith in Christ? It doesn't matter. Either place you find yourself, just don't become bitter or resentful. Secondly, instead of getting even, give thanks. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances. Now, you don't want to give thanks for all circumstances. Thank you, Lord, for this gash on my leg. It, you don't do that. You say, well, thank you, Lord, that there are medical doctors, that you are here to bring comfort to me. And, you know, I, I appreciate all that you do and how you've had compassion on me, that type of thing. So we just give thanks for what we do have. And knowing that suffering develops perseverance, Romans 5.3 says, Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given unto us. In James 1, 3, and 4, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So we go through the trials, we go through the difficulties, we go through the persecutions, all for our benefit to develop persecution. It's like going to the gym. You're stronger if you work out. You can persevere longer. If you're a runner, then you can go faster. You can go farther. You can accomplish more than somebody else who might be near you. 
And so we want to keep these things in mind when it comes to suffering. If you find yourself there, and who knows, we could in November or December, according to this guy who's dreaming on the internet, it could be bad. Then again, it might not be. It doesn't matter. We just turn to God and give him thanks for the circumstance because it's a chance to learn perseverance. Now, is that a wonderful message? And now, the flesh doesn't like that at all. I do not want to suffer. And we spend our whole lives just making our bed so it's completely perfect. You've got the retirement. We've got the health. We've got the friendships. We've got all those things laid out. And that's how I want to die, is with all those things nice and even, and it's all ordered. Life never works out like that. And so when it doesn't, we turn to God, and we say, thank you, Lord. Now, what we're going to do at this point, we are going to receive communion. And communion is all about the suffering of Christ, that he gave his life for us. And, of course, we have the bread that is on top. And remember, this is uh, the COVID special communion cup. Uh, You can pull the bread off of the top. There's two flaps on there, and you can take the wafer first. And when I uh, play the song, and I'm going to invite each one of you individually, if you would just kind of rotate out of the aisles and come up and grab your cup, just pick one, whichever one you touch, Please take that one and then go back to your seat the same way that you came out from the outside of the aisles. Go back to the inside of the aisles. Now, again, it reflects on the suffering of Christ, that he gave his blood for us. We know that the Old Testament teaches there is no remission of sins except by the blood or a life has to be given, and Christ gave his life for us. So we are going to remember his sacrifice for us, the suffering that he went through in order to redeem us. And for this reason it brings us joy his suffering brings us joy his suffering brings us comfort so to speak so what we're going to do now is the worship team is going to come up and we're going to sing a song and if there's anything that you need to turn to the lord and say you know lord i've blown it here and maybe you're going through some suffering a trial right now say Lord, I still give you thanks in all circumstances, not necessarily for the bad things that have happened, but the fact that you're with me in them. This is how God wants us to interact with him, knowing that he is a God of comfort and a God of blessing. So if we could have the rest of the lights turned down, we'll go ahead and sing a song.